I trust you got your Bible this morning, and I'd like for you to open it to the book of Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter number 40 is where we're going to start. You probably figured this out by now. I, I'm using my handheld. Okay. The other one was, I fought the mic and the mic won. Let's put it that way. I got tired of messing with it. Um, Isaiah chapter number 40, verse 28. I want to read through verse 31, and then we'll pray this morning. Somebody says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Can you bow with me this morning in prayer? Father, we recognize our humanity this morning. We understand, Lord, that our strength only goes so far. That you created us to be equipped for so much. And then beyond that, Lord, we have to look to you. The author and the finisher of our faith and the supply of all of our strength. Father, different times, Lord, our, our own decisions can drain us. Sometimes the decisions of others can drain us. Life in general can just drain us of all strength. And I know that you laid this message in my heart for a purpose. I pray, God, as your eyes scan this uh, auditorium this morning, that probably each one of us, to a certain degree, have faced moments of exhaustion. And uh, we just pray, dear God, that you would renew us. That you would fill us up with your power and your strength. God, I, I recognize this morning that I'm just a, a human being, flesh and blood, and I don't have the power to speak into anybody's life. God, I, I need you desperately by the anointing power of your Holy Spirit to speak through me in a way that will edify and truly do some good in this place this morning. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Give me a big shout of amen. 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 Look at your neighbor say, I see Jesus in you. Amen. All right. All right, so... In order for something to be renewed, it would first have to be what? Lost, right? Something that you've had already and you don't have it anymore. This scripture here is specifically talking about strength. Not just talking about physical strength, but emotional strength, mental strength, spiritual strength. Has anybody besides me ever come to a place in your life or in your walk with God where you literally just didn't feel like you could take another step? Anybody at all? feel like every ounce of strength you ever had has just been literally zapped. And once that strength has been zapped, we've been exhausted. He says here that even young men shall fall exhausted. No matter how long we've served God, no matter how much we know about the Bible, no matter how many times we attend church and how faith we are, faithful we are to it, there are times where we in our physical body and in our spirit become exhausted. The enemy doesn't let up. In, in, if, you, if you were to go to war, have you ever known, in, in war, have you ever known a time where the enemy says, you know what, these guys look exhausted, let's give them a break. You, you, could you, can you imagine that happening? It never happens. If, you, if, if they look at their enemy and they see that their enemy is wearing down and exhausted, what are they going to do? They're going to step it up, right? We're, we're getting to them. We're wearing them down. And so all of us are in a war. We're in a spiritual war every day from the moment we leave our, well, the second you get out of bed, the enemy 
is, is attacking and he's working against us. And so when he sees us beginning to get drained and beginning to get weak and beginning to get discouraged, Satan does not say, you know what, let's give him some space. Okay? Number one, you're in good company right here in this room. We, we probably people around you uh, feel the same way. But even throughout Scripture, the great, the greats, the men that God raised up to do amazing things had moments where literally they had no strength in and of themselves. Moses was a man that God raised up. He had a great task. He had to take a nation full of people, approximately 3 million people, historians say. His task was to take them out of Egypt and bring them into the, into the promised land, which is all desert. Okay, it's not a four-lane highway. They didn't take Greyhound buses or airplanes. Okay, it's a desert, and, and it probably wouldn't, it wouldn't have taken them as long as it should have taken them. But bottom line is, Moses is leading them to where God wants them to be. How many of you know that we're never exactly where God wants us to be, but we're always on our way? Amen? And we've got to have strength to get there. And so uh, God raises Moses up to do this. Well, there comes a point where people are people, even God's people are people and have their moments. And so the Israelites were just annoying. I mean, they were constantly complaining and griping, never happy with the way things were, always wanting to go back to Egypt. And, and guess who got the brunt of all of their griping and complaining? The people didn't take their complaints to God. They took them to Moses, right? And so Moses is just so, he's getting discouraged, he's getting sick of all of this stuff, and God's getting sick of it too. So God comes to Moses and, or yeah, God comes to Moses and says, you know what, I'm not going to go with you anymore, okay, my presence is no longer going to go with you, I'm just going to send an angel to take you on in uh, to the promised land, uh, because if I go, I'm going to destroy these people. That was God speaking, okay, and, and Moses says, no God, you, you can't do that, you can't do that, because that's the one thing that sets us apart from all the other nations in the world is the fact that our God goes with us. No other nation can say that. All the other nations, when they went somewhere, they carried their gods in their bag because they were worshiping idols. But our God goes with us, his presence. So, so Moses, this is what God says to Moses. Uh, no, Moses says to God, says, so God, if you're not going... I'm not going. Okay, I'm paraphrasing this, but you can look us up in around the 32nd, 33rd chapter of Exodus, I believe. Uh, Moses says, look, if your presence is not going with us, don't take us any further. I mean, he was just at the point where he was just so drained. He's like, God, if you don't go, I can't go. And he was just so discouraged. And he appeals to God, God, I have to have your presence. And can I, under, can I make you understand this morning that it is in God's presence that we receive the fullness of joy. Of joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And it's in the presence of God that we receive joy. Right? Moses said, you got to go. If you're not going, I'm not going. And so God, he does. He says, okay. And he goes forward with them. But what you find in the very next chapter is that Moses then, he goes up on top of the mountain to receive the law of God. And Moses' heart was so compelled to, to know God in a way he had never known him before, that Moses looks at God and he said, I, I, I beseech you or I beg you, Lord, show me your glory. I want to see you in a way I've never seen you before. And we read that God says, well, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to allow you to see my face because if, if you see my face, you're just going to die. No man can behold the glory of God. But he allowed Moses, as God passed by, he allowed Moses to see his hinder parts. 
He saw the glory of God. And don't you know that when Moses came back down off the mountain, having seen the glory of God, having been in the presence of God, that he had a renewed strength. It didn't matter what those Israelites said to him. He was ready to go. He wasn't discouraged any longer. He wasn't drained any longer. He was filled up. His his strength had been renewed in the presence of God. It's no different for you and I. It's no different for you and I. That's where we get the renewing of our strength is when we go to God. Elijah was another prophet of God who had seen great and mighty miracles to the point where, uh, you know, Elijah goes head-to-head with 150 prophets of Baal, okay? And they're all doing their thing, and they had come to the conclusion, everybody's fighting for the heart of Israel, basically. You got the prophets of Baal who are trying to convince the Israelites that Baal is God. And you have Elijah who's trying to convince the Israelites that God is God. And so they they, they decide, okay, tell you what, whichever God answers by fire... Let him be God. And the people are like, okay, that sounds fair. Everybody gets around in a circle and they start waiting. The prophets of Baal, they're jumping up and down. They're doing their rituals. They're calling out to their God. They're cutting themselves with stones. And guess what happened? Nothing. Because they, were, they, they didn't have a God. Nothing happened. But Elijah steps out and he begins to pray to God quietly, in my opinion. God, just show these people who's God. The fire literally falls from heaven, consumes the sacrifice And all the people of Israel knew in that moment that God was God. And so Elijah went from this great high, this great spiritual victory, mountaintop experience. How many of you ever had those? I hope that you have. I hope at some point in time in your Christian walk you've had those mountaintop experiences where you just just felt so close to God. And it was like if the devil showed up in in, in front of him, he couldn't turn me away from God. I just feel so close to God. He had those moments. And literally right after that, Jezebel, who was the leader over all the prophets of Baal, who Elijah just had slaughtered, she makes a a declaration in the land and she says basically this, this time tomorrow, Elijah will be dead. So now Elijah's got a hit on his life, okay? And he knows it, and so he runs off and he gets in a cave and he curls up in the fetal position and he begins to say things like, God, I'm the only person serving you now. God, I'm so discouraged. Nobody, the Israelites, they're, so, they're on the fence and now I've got this mad woman who's trying to kill me and nobody is serving you but me. And how many of you know that is one of the loneliest feelings in the world, but it's a lie. And God says to Elijah, no, there's a lot of people that are still serving me. And Elijah begins to pray things like this. God, just kill me now. Just go ahead and take my life. Does that sound like a man whose strength had been depleted? The only bad thing about mountaintop experiences is that you, it's a long way to the bottom. And you can get there quickly sometimes. So this is a picture of a man whose strength has just been absolutely depleted because that's what happens many times in this battle. But God comes to him and he says, look, and he speaks to him in a still, small voice. God speaks to Elijah. He says, I'll tell you what you're going to do. First of all, I've got 7,000 people never have bowed their knee to Baal. 7,000 that are faithful to me, you're going to find them. You're going to look for people. You're going to point this person over this, and you're going to point this person over that. You're going to look for the people who are still worshiping and serving me. And the more he did that, the more his strength was renewed. A, we got to have the presence of God to stay strong in our spirit. B, we got to have other people that are in this race with us. Other people that are in this fight with us. Look for other people that have a passion for Jesus. Look for some, you feel all alone in the world at work? I bet you there's somebody at your workplace who loves Jesus as much, if not more, than you do. Find them. 
Amen? Maybe the one that annoys you the most. But hey, you got Jesus in common, right? Elijah's strength was renewed. And by the way, the guy was taken to heaven in a chariot of fire, right? God just, you call it a reward. I don't know, but he saw God in a way he'd never seen God before. His strength had been renewed. Jeremiah was another prophet. He got discouraged. His calling, his, he had a very difficult calling in that he had to bring, you know, Moses is trying to get God's people where they need to be, and then they got away, and so Jeremiah's trying to bring God's people back to where they're supposed to be. And, and so Jeremiah's whole purpose, his whole calling was to basically tell Israel how far away from God they were and that they needed to repent. It wasn't received well, okay? And Jeremiah's out there, he's preaching, he's saying, look, God's judgment's coming on our nation. You guys have backslid, you need to repent. Nobody's listening to him. He's weeping, he's called the weeping prophet. You know why he's called the weeping prophet? Because he weeped, right? And he even wrote a book of the Bible called Crying. It's Lamentations, but that's what it means. He's weeping, he's crying for his people, and he's so discouraged, and there comes a point in Jeremiah's ministry where he says, you know what, it ain't worth it. They're, God, I don't understand why... The, the, the wicked seem to be prospering here. You ever wonder that? You ever look at the world around you and wonder, how come people who hate God and, and don't care about God seem to have more money than I do? Well, it's because money is not the gauge by which God's blessing flows, first of all. But he's just like, God, all these wicked people are prospering. I'm preaching. Ain't nobody listening and so on and so forth. He said, I ain't doing it no more. I, I ain't going to do it anymore. His strength had just been completely zapped. But there was something that was taking place in him during that little lull. And I don't know how long it lasts. Scripture doesn't say how long he kept his mouth shut. Probably wasn't but one, one sermon away. It's like somebody said one time, uh, this is not me necessarily, but I've heard pastors say, you know, I, he's, I resign every Monday and then I get my job back every, every Friday, right? Um, so he's like, God, I, I don't know how long, but he's, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to do it. But there was something that was taking place in that period of time. And the, and the Bible says that Jeremiah comes to the conclusion. He said, you know what? He, be, he begins to speak again. He begins to compel the people to repent again. He gets right back in it. And he said, it, it was like when I tried to keep it in, I tried to keep it quiet. I was drained of all strength. I didn't feel like I could speak another word. But it was like a fire was shut up inside my bones. There was that, that word that, that God had placed in there was such so powerful and it burned within me that I couldn't help but get it out. And so at that point, from that moment on, Jeremiah is no longer out there in his flesh waving his hands trying to get people to turn to God in his own strength. Now he is operating in the strength and in the anointing and to the power of Almighty God. Amen? His strength had been renewed. Samson was a man that lost all strength. He was very, very strong in his physical body. What was it that caused Samson to lose his strength, his own compromise? Sometimes we get wore down and we get uh, zapped of our strength because of circumstances around us, the attacks of the enemy, uh, you know, just the, the, the chores of life and the stresses of life and things. But sometimes it comes through our own compromise and our own sin. Compromise is, is, is like it's the leaky bucket of strength, okay? God gives us the strength to do what we want to do, but as we compromise and as we sin and as we just... Uh, just kind of go our own way. It just that strength just drains out of us. I think that when we find ourselves in a place, this is what I do. This may not apply to you. But this is what I do. When I get to a place where I feel weak and I'm discouraged and I feel like I don't have any strength left, left first I, I do what I just said. I go to God. I go to the source of my strength 
um, which I'll talk about here in a second. I go to the source of my strength and say, God, I need your strength. I can't do this, so on and so forth. Um, but I also take a good hard look at Dennis. I, I just take a good look at me uh, and see, have, have I compromised in areas, you know, I may not be living in, in open, blatant sin, but maybe I'm compromising in an area here or there. And many times I will find that sometimes some of my strength is leaked out because maybe I got a little leak in my bucket. Has anybody else? I mean, it's probably just me. Anybody else ever been there? But Samson, he lost all of his strength because of his own compromise. Won't go into the whole story. I don't have time. I got to get through this. But, you know, if you've ever been in Sunday school, you know. All of his strength is gone. He doesn't even know it at first. And so he finds himself now the most powerful man in the world, and, and now he's in his enemy. His enemy has turned him into a human uh, grinding wheel. They've poked his eyes out, and they're making fun of him. And Samson comes to a place of humility. In our Wednesday night Bible study, we call it being deprided, right? <laughs> Inside joke. I see some smiles out there, but. Sometimes God has to depride us, a.k.a. he has to humble us. Samson became very humbled, and he just acknowledged that he was where he was at because of his own doing. Okay? And, you know, there's just times that happens. And I'm not up here to point fingers or throw stones because, believe me, I've been in that place many, many times. But the worst thing we can do is blame everybody else when it's our fault. Amen? We've got to get to a point where the strength of God and the joy of the Lord is more important to us than our own pride and our own sin and our own compromise. Samson gathers it all together, says, God, I have really goofed, and I'm sorry. Please restore unto me my strength. And so a man whose strength had been completely stripped had his strength renewed. And God just poured in strength into Samson. And you know the story, he grabs the, the pillars of the house and he pushes them out and the whole thing comes crashing down and the Bible says that literally Samson killed more of his enemies that day than he had in all of his battles before and if you read about his battles before he was a stud I mean he had killed a lot of Philistines you know and but in that day his greatest victory my point is this his greatest victory was after his strength had been stripped and then renewed the Satan comes along when you know we have great things that we do that you know for God and in our life and things are good and then and then when our our strength is gone and we feel like we're all washed up and we're never going to do this again and God comes along and says no 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 you've not even started yet I mean all your your greatest victories are ahead of you I had to drain out all of your strength I had to get all the kerosene out of you so that I could fill you up with some jet fuel does that make sense to you this morning that's what the Holy Ghost is it's jet fuel in our soul John, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist went through a time of discouragement. He's in prison. That would do it to anybody. John the Baptist had a very interesting calling. His number one purpose in life was to be the forerunner of Christ. So everybody from the, all the prophets back had prophesied that the Messiah would one day come. And the Messiah would deliver God's people. So there, for, for many, many generations, the Jews are looking for a, a natural warrior to raise up an army, beat the Romans, and restore the kingdom to Israel in the natural. But what they misunderstood was that the Messiah was ultimately come to deliver God's people from their sin. Okay, that's where the big confusion was. So John the Baptist, before Jesus was to come on the scene, and everybody would say, that's the Messiah. 
John the Baptist's calling was to come along beforehand and say, He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. The, the Messiah is almost here. Prepare your path. Get your heart ready. He's coming. And then when Jesus walks down the banks of the Jordan River where John was baptizing, he was able to point at Jesus and tell the entire world, that's him. Okay? Pretty cool responsibility. And John had faithfully done that. There, was, there wasn't a proud bone in John's body. He was, he was completely content to put Jesus out front and then sink back himself and let Jesus have all the glory. So we find throughout, when you read through the scriptures, that John the Baptist had had a conversation with Herod, who was the king. Herod was having a fling with his sister-in-law, and John the Baptist said, you ain't supposed to do that. That ain't right. And Herod responded by throwing John in prison. And as, as, much, as much as Herod was upset with John for saying that, Herod's mistress was even more upset about John saying that so John is in prison right now and he knows probably I'm gonna die here and he does later we find where uh, Herod had John's head removed but before that happened here's John the Baptist in prison and I want you, I want you to see something in the scripture let's start reading verse 11 or verse 1 when Jesus had finished instructing his disciples he went, in, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities now when John just John the Baptist heard in prison about the deeds of Christ he sent words by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Are you? Now remember, John is the one that boldly stood on the bank of the Jordan River and said, This is him. This is the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God. But now his surroundings are different than they were before. When John was declaring Jesus to be the Messiah, he was out. He was free. Things were good in life. Now he's in prison. And the devil's getting, trying to get in his head. Now he's getting discouraged. His strength has been drained. And so now he's, he's got these questions in his mind. Well, is he really the Messiah? Because we did kind of think the Messiah would raise up. And, 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 and the enemy's just messing with his head. So John sends people, sends disciples to Jesus to say, are you really him? Strength had been completely zapped to the point where he began to question just a little. Look at what happens. I love Jesus' response. Jesus didn't reprimand him. Jesus didn't scold him. Because Jesus knows our humanity, folks. Jesus knows. In fact, forgive me, I think it's maybe around the 119th, 17th Psalm. I can't remember exactly where. But the Bible says that God knows what we're made of. He knows our frame. He knows that we come from the dust of the earth. So what that means is he knows there's times where we lose our strength. He knows there's times where we say things we don't really mean. He knows there's times where we decide to throw up our hands when we really don't want to. Right? God knows. And, and, and Jesus was very, very patient with John who said, are you really him, the one that should come? Or do we look for another? Should we continue to look for the Messiah? Look at Jesus' response. I want you to go back, verse 4. Jesus said, go back and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. <laughs> Those were Jesus' credentials. If there's ever any question as to whether or not Jesus was Messiah, Jesus says, well, I don't see anybody else raising people from the dead. I'm able to heal the blind and the, the lame and the sick. These are my credentials. This is the proof that I am Messiah. And then he goes on to say, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That was Jesus' gentle way of saying, John, hang in there. I'm him. You know I'm him. Don't let the enemy mess with you. 
Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The one that doesn't give up when his strength is gone, but the one that looks to Jesus for a renewed source of strength. Jesus goes on, I'm not going to read it, but Jesus goes on. You know, you would think that maybe Jesus would have said, you know, I thought, I thought John the Baptist had more faith than that. I thought, I thought John had more fizz in him than that. Hmm, well, he sure let me down. That wasn't Jesus' response at all. Jesus turns to all the people who were there and says, you know what, There's among all the men who have been born by women, which pretty much narrows it down to everybody, of all men ever born, John the Baptist is the greatest. Wow. The greatest man to have ever been born, with the exception of Christ himself, obviously, and he come to a place in his life where his strength was zapped, and Jesus said, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll just strengthen it I, my guess the, the scripture doesn't doesn't record what happens when those those disciples come back to deliver that message to john but we do find later in scripture where john was beheaded okay and that's a whole circumstance in itself but i can't help but think that john sitting there in that prison cell his his circumstances are different his surroundings are different and it's it's terrible what life has dealt for him but i can't help but think when those guys came back and said you know we talked to jesus we asked him the question and he said that we needed to tell you just remember this the blind are seeing right those who have never been able to walk are running those who were dead are now alive and i can just almost see the holy spirit pouring in strength into John the Baptist and just reminding him that's right that's what he came to do he didn't come to keep me out of every bad thing that life can deal me Jesus purpose in coming wasn't to keep bad stuff from happening to good people his whole purpose in coming was that so all the people could be saved and freed from their sin and when he had a renewed when his, his vision was renewed in the right spot then his strength was renewed Sometimes we're just not looking in the right spot. Amen? Jesus went to the mountain. He needed that. Here, here turn with me. Well, you're already there. Matthew chapter 11. Go to the end of that chapter. Verse number, oh, 28. <clears throat> Remember, this is right after Jesus had just got done saying. He knows that John's discouraged and no doubt others. Jesus said this. If you don't, if you don't have this verse highlighted or underlined in your Bible, I would encourage you to do so. This scripture alone will be a lifesaver for you in some of your darkest moments. It is for me. These are the words of Christ. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden. You know what that word heavy laden means? You just don't have any strength left. You've worked hard, you've toiled hard, you've battled hard, you've been tempted hard, so on. Whatever be the case, your strength is gone. Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. Doesn't that just kind of do something to you? It does me. It just does something to me. Jesus said, look, if you're drained of your strength, come to me and I'll renew your strength. I'll give you the rest that you desperately need in your soul. He goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what a yoke is? If you've got two oxes, oxen, oxi, two ox, oxen, two oxen, and you're plowing a field with them, you, you put a great big old wooden, it's like, it's like a horseshoe-shaped thing. You've probably seen pictures of big horseshoe thing over both of their necks. It's called a yoke, and it holds them together, keeps them from going different directions, holds them going the same direction. 
And Jesus said, my yoke. Because see, when we come to Jesus, we, we are surrendering our control to him. Right? We should. If we're not, we're doing it wrong. We're surrendering our control to Jesus. And he says, look, I'm not out to, I'm, Jesus said, I'm not out to make your life miserable. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So when you find yourself in a place with no strength, you have to learn to fix your concentration on the source of strength. I would never, if I wanted the electricity on in, in this room, I'm not going to go to the faucet back here and turn on the faucet. If I need power in here, the faucet in there is not the source of power. I'm going to go to the light switch, right? So many times we find ourselves in a place where we're drained of all strength and we go to everything and everyone in the world to try to get that strength back and Jesus says, I'm the source. You have to learn, you have to, learn to focus on where the source of your strength comes from and according to Jesus, that's him. Psalm 93 and 1 says, The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Jesus is and was and always will be the source of all strength. I, uh, let me tell you this and then I'll close. Those of you who know, I recently, oh, I don't know, past few months ago, I decided I was going to try to get back into shape a little bit. Somebody said, are you, Dennis, you having a midlife crisis? And I said, no, I'm having a my clothes won't fit crisis. <laughs> it, was either, it was either lose weight or buy all new clothes, and I just wasn't re- ready to go there yet. So, I started uh, trying to get back in shape a little bit, and the more I did it, the, more, uh, the better I felt, and I, I began to realize, hey, I could put my socks on without losing my breath. That was a great feeling. And so, but what I've noticed is this. See, I'm 42. I'm going to be 43 years old here in just a couple months. can't believe it. 43 years old. What I find, see, I, I, used to, I used to lift, when I was in my 20s, early 20s, late teens, early teens, I used to lift weights all the time, work out and all that kind of stuff. And, and so as I started lifting weights again, what I, find, what I found is that it feels different after 40 than it did when I was 20. Specifically, yeah, I'll probably never make it there. It just feels different after 40. Specifically, it hurts, okay? And it, it really kind of makes me mad, to be honest with you. I'm like, I'm working out, and sort of like, it didn't feel like this when I was 20. There's literally a switch. When you turn 40, there's a switch. Everything starts feeling different and hurting more. And so, anyway, what I began to find is that during my workouts, as I, I'm hurting, I'm working one muscle, and every other muscle is hurting. Okay, so I'm like, I'm doing some sit-ups. I'm trying to, trying to strengthen my abs, and my neck is killing me. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. I'm working my biceps and my calf cramps or something. You know what I mean? It's like I'm, work, I'm trying to strengthen this one part of my body, but I can't do it because as I'm, as I'm trying to strengthen this part of my body, this other part is hurting. But I, I, I had a revelation. I realized not too long ago the problem is I was doing it wrong. I was just simply doing it wrong. I'm doing, I'm doing crunches or something, working my, trying to strengthen my, my, my abs, and the reason why my neck is hurting is because I'm like tensed and I'm, I'm using my neck. I just wasn't doing the crunches right. Give me a break. It had been 20 years since I'd done one, right? I just I wasn't doing it right. And I began to realize, oh, so I would, I would try to focus just on my, my abs and, and relax my neck and just focus on the part that I was trying to strengthen. 
there's a source. There's a place that we, we have to focus and let everything else relax. And when I begin to do that, I begin to realize that feels better. Now my abs are hurting, right? I mean, but that's what I wanted. So I, I just begin to realize, okay, I'm doing it wrong. So I've got to focus the muscles that I'm trying to make stronger. And it was just kind of a revelation to me in a spiritual sense that if, if our lives, even sometimes our work for God, is burning us out or discouraging us or causing tension in our family or causing uh, uh, negative effects in our health, maybe, I'm not, maybe we're not doing it right. Does that make sense? Now, I know the enemy works against us, and there's times when we get strengthened, but if, if, if my work for God is causing problems, I'm, I'm, there's something I'm not doing right. And Jesus is saying, what you, what you got to learn to do is relax everything else in your life and focus on me. I am the source of your strength. And when you focus on me, then everything else can relax, and it'll be able to get stronger too. Let me give you an example. If, if your job or your ministry or your hobbies, you might say, even are causing problems in your marriage, maybe you're not doing it right. Learn to fine-tune your focus, okay? We have to learn to make sure that we're not giving too much time to those other things, even work. My, my job, or your job, should be a blessing to your family. Is that true? So if you're focusing properly on your job and focusing properly on your family, then the two should mesh pretty good together. Sometimes it's just a matter of, where our focus and where our priorities are at. Do the thoughts of evil in the world and distress and chaos in the world all around us, does that ever cause feelings of fear and anxiety and stress? If it does, we're not looking at things right. Okay, and we all face it. We're all human beings. So when we see the news and we're like, oh man, this world is going to the toilet in the fast, you know, and we get discouraged. But if those fears begin to cripple us as, as God's people, we're not doing it right. We're not, we're, thinking, we're not thinking about it right. Jesus said here, what you, what you want to do, relax everything that's temporary and focus on the things that are eternal. Because isn't that really what we ultimately want to strengthen? That which is eternal? What's the most important part of you? It's your soul, right? It, it's your soul and where it's going to spend eternity, your body, your job, your money, Everything else is temporary, so it's going to go away eventually. So why would we put all of our focus on that which is temporary? God says, no, 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 no. That's, that's, that's where the problem is. You're not looking at it right. You need to be strong in your spirit, strong in your soul, strong in that which is eternal. And then everything else is temporary will take care of itself. The enemy always keeps that which is temporary in front of us. <laughs> There's times... There's times I'll be listening to somebody talk or I'll be watching the news or something. I can literally feel my, my neck. I mean, abs aren't the only thing that my neck gets involved in. I mean, I can feel myself tensing. Do you ever feel that way? I'm just sharing with you something that helped me. I hope this will help you. I just started learning. I got to quit focusing on that that's all going to burn up and smoke one day anyway. I want to do what I got to do. Jobs are important. Family's important. Hobbies and to-do lists, they're all important. We want to do them, but we just want to make sure that that's not the part we're trying to strengthen. We're trying to strengthen our inner man. Scripture says that if our, if our inner man, our spirit is strong, I'm going to paraphrase this, but this is what it's saying. If our spirit is strong, our inner man is strong, our faith is strong, our bodies can endure anything. I mean, seriously, there's nothing that your body and your physical man will ever face 
that will tear you down if, you're, if your spirit's strong. Do you see why the inner man has to be the most important focus? You know, Jesus, when he was facing uh, the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you know he prayed three times for the Father to let that cup pass from him? Father, I mean, he, he's facing the cross. He knows he's about to be tortured to death. Lord, is there another way that we can purchase the souls of mankind? Three times, God, if you can get me out of this, please do. And all three times he knew God was leading him to the cross. So he finally come to grips with this. Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus stood up from the garden. He marched towards the cross. You know how he did it? Not in the strength of his humanity. Not in the strength of his physical body. He did it in the strength and the power and the might of Almighty God. He, his inner man was stronger than his outer man. Amen? Psalm 73 and 26 says this, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I love, love, love that scripture. God just wants us to, God doesn't want you to muster up strength. He just wants you to give him your weak heart and then he'll do the rest. My flesh and my heart, they fail. They're weak. I'm a weak, I'm a human being. My flesh is weak, your flesh is weak. My heart fails, but God is the strength of my heart. What does that tell me? It doesn't matter. If I come to a place where my strength is completely drained, it doesn't mean I'm washed up. It doesn't mean I'm done. It means that God is about to fill me back up. Amen? And I'll be able to march forward. There's a reason why you wives and you kids bring the stubborn pickle jar to dad. Why is that? Why do you do that? Because you are using his strength to do what you cannot do yourself. Right? Typically, God made us that way. Typically, men are just physically stronger. That's the way God made us. It's not sexist. That's God's idea. And so, if, if a lady can't get it off, and, and, and you know, the kids can't get it off, they bring it to dad. Take, take this off for me. I need you to open this stubborn pickle jar. I'm going to use your strength to do what I can't do. And in, a, in some illustrated sense, probably every person in this room has got a stubborn pickle jar in your life. There's just something you have tried and tried and tried to deal with and you just can't get it open. You just can't make it work. And the message is very simple. Jesus is just saying, bring your pickle jar to me. Amen? If somebody came in at this point in the sermon, they'd think, what in the world is this guy talking about? But you all got all the background, you know. Jesus is saying, bring your pickle jar to me. Let me, in my strength, do for you what you can't do. Use my strength. It's there for you, right? <laughs> so, if you're in a place, right now, let me say it again, and, I, and there, there's got to be, I mean, again, the Lord don't typically lay a message on my heart if there's not some reason for it, so... Um, if you're in a place right now where you're drained you don't have any strength you've been maybe contemplating well, not necessarily contemplating giving up on the Lord but you just, you just don't know what to do I can't, I can't go backwards, I can't go forwards I don't want to die but I don't want to live right, kind of like Elijah then I want you to know 
you're in a very good place this morning. You say, I have no strength left. I'm washed up. That's awesome. That is exactly where God wants you to be this morning. True, true story. Now he can renew your strength. God wants you to be there. Um, I just want to read this one last verse very quickly. Sorry, I meant to close earlier, but in, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, Paul had been dealing with some things. He calls it a, th- a thorn in the flesh, something that just was making life miserable on him, draining him of his strength, and he asks God three times to take it away, and all three times God says to him, I'll tell you what, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to take away that. In fact, we find Paul says the whole reason that thorn in the flesh was given to him was so he wouldn't get cocky, right? There was a purpose in this difficulty. Do you know this? Do you know that opposition, we have a tendency to think that opposition weakens us. Do you know that opposition actually gives us strength? Opposition doesn't weaken you. Opposition makes you stronger. I was watching, they, uh, they were interviewing this Olympic ski jumper. And they were talking about how that the wind, there was a headwind. It was literally the wind was blowing towards the skier. They're going downhill to jump like this, and the wind is blowing against them. Now, in my little weak, feeble mind, I would think that would be bad. That, that opposition would be bad because it looks to me like it would be better if the wind was behind me so when I jumped, the wind would throw me farther. But this ski jumper said, she said, actually, I would take a headwind over a tailwind any day. They want the headwind. They want the opposition. Do you know why? Because when they hit the jump, the opposition, it elevates them. It works again. It, it comes in there somehow, I don't know, the physics, but it literally gives them lift. And that opposition, that wind gives them lift, and guess what happens? They jump farther. They want the opposition. God said, look, don't try to get away from all opposition. You need opposition. All these people we talked about today faced opposition. That's what made them stronger. So Paul says, because Jesus comes along and says, I'm not going to take away your opposition. I'm just not going to do it. But I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to let that opposition serve as a spiritual headwind that will take you places I want you to be. And Paul come to this conclusion. Somewhere. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, Paul says, I will boast then more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Look at this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. I am strong. The math don't add up unless you put Jesus into the equation. Musicians, would you come, please? I I want to, this morning, just invite everybody to take a good inventory of your own heart and of your own life. If this speaks to you today, you're in that place, as, as they begin to sing, as we just begin to worship the Lord, these altars are always open for you this morning. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if, if God is dealing with your heart, please don't, don't, don't leave here that way. Just, just come and let us pray with you and help you find that path to God, okay? We'll help you with that. But this morning, uh, take a good hard look at the mountain that stands before you, and I want you to see how small it is. 
compared to Jesus. Every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't mind. Let's just be in a, in a state of, of prayer. Let's be in a state of worship. Let Jesus do something in each one of us this morning. Hallelujah.